right, if you'll take your Bibles together with me this morning, we're going to be looking again in the book of Titus. Titus is the book where we will take our text and our study. I forgot to welcome those who are in the fellowship hall this morning and those who are tuned in to our worship service by social media. We always love to hear from you if you've... uh, if you've uh, worshipped with us from a distance. So uh, you can get on our website, our webpage online, and you can find out how to contact our church. I know there are people who listen from all over the world, and we appreciate those people who tune in and do so. And I'm going to be sharing a little report uh, with you about how many people are uh, sharing our worship service with us. Uh, I hadn't done that in a while, and I just didn't have time to get it all together, but I will be doing that. So we always appreciate our uh, audience that's far away. Like my grandpa used to say, they're a fair piece from us. And so (laughs) that's the way you say it. I remember one time, uh, I forget which one of our grandchildren when they was little they wanted to know about why people say certain things and boy I could share with them a whole list of uh, ways that us hillbillies talk in Kentucky and uh, maybe one of these days I'll preach a sermon on some of those statements and I could make a sermon out of it I really could so all right so we appreciate those who are tuned in We're going to be looking together this morning in the second chapter and the 14th verse once again. I've preached from this verse several weeks now, and there's a few more yet to come. And our text verse is verse number 14 of the second chapter, as God adds His blessing to His Word as He sees fit. And the Bible, speaking of Jesus, in the 14th verse says, Who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You might have noticed that I quoted that without looking at my Bible. I would think I've used that enough now that probably everybody could. And if you can't, just work on that a little bit. And uh, you can quote it in your mind when I read it uh, in the future. Now here's where we are in this verse of Scripture. And I'll keep reiterating this fact. Sometimes there are single verses or passages of Scripture that just span all time. And that's unique. No matter what else the Bible might say, it's just true. What you find there, of course, that's true the way it is with all of the Word of God, but sometimes there are passages of Scripture which just cover all time and eternity. And I've been calling this why Jesus came or why Jesus died. And so we can learn so much from that on this passage of Scripture. And for several weeks, I took the first part of that. Who gave Himself for us? Who gave Himself for us? And all of us who know the Lord as our personal Savior, we view our relationship with Him from that perspective. 
everything that we are or ever hope to be as His children is based on that very fact who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity. And we can rejoice together in that. What a motivation for serving Him, being able to dwell on that very fact. But what we've done is we've switched to the second part of that verse of Scripture. And I believe they are separate because it says this, to pure and purify unto Himself. That was our uh, subject last Sunday morning, was those, two, those three words, to purify uh, one, unto more than three words. Just that phrase, let me put it that way. I hadn't stopped to count those words anyway. But anyway, to purify unto Himself. Here's why that's unique. The word purify ought to cause our questions in our mind and cause us to think about what that means. To purify unto Himself. And we took that word last Sunday morning, you'll remember, and I found something out that I wasn't aware of, that that Greek word purify is translated many, many, many places as cleanse, to make clean. You remember I shared with you several passages of Scripture, not all of them, but several, about lepers. And when Christ met a leper in the New Testament, the word cleanse was used. And you might think, well, why, why didn't he say heal? Well, he healed them, but cleansing them. And you know that leprosy in the Bible is a picture or a type of the unconverted condition. The leper was to cry out when someone came near them, unclean, unclean. Boy, what we learn about that. Unclean, unclean. And so, uh, when Jesus healed a leper, He cleansed the, the leper. So that word purify has that unique uh, implication in it. Then, uh, I shared with you the statement, unto Himself. Now that simply means that this is a switch. This is something He's doing. This is something He is doing. It is an act of His sovereign mercy, His sovereign will. This is His work. And I remind you again, one day the Bible says that our Lord and Savior is going to spend eternity with His children. And He has every right to work His grace in their lives to make them what they ought to be. That's the whole gospel story. That's what grace is all about. That's what His sovereign will is all about. And sometimes, just to be honest with you, people will act like, well, I'll make a profession of faith and then that's the end of it. I don't have to think no more about that or there's no more involved in that until one of these days when I die and God's going to take me to heaven. A lot of people have attitudes like that. That's not what the Bible teaches. So purify unto Himself. You'll remember I shared with you that means the remission of sin. It means to be a ransom was paid. To redeem someone is to buy back from a condition that they were in. To deliver them from the bondage of sin. The curse is removed. And then there is a purging that takes place even in that word redeem. Now, you remember I shared with you there are several words in the Bible talking about what happens to someone when they're saved that helps us to understand what it means when Jesus said, when the Bible says that He's in the process of purifying 
unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now that ought to make us think. It really ought to. I will just tell you this morning that that description does not come about by our own ability to bring it about. It just does not. It never will. It never would. The Bible says about the unsaved, there's none that's, none that understandeth, and there's none that seeketh after him. There's none. In that fallen state, people don't come to the Lord in that state. It takes a making alive to happen before that, before that takes place. And so uh, we, we would know by those several words that are used. It was redemption last week. And I found another one in, a, in some verses I'm going to read uh, to you here in a minute. It says in verse 7 of chapter 3 that being justified by His grace. That is a judicial act of God apart from anything we do, a judicial act of God whereby He pronounces us not guilty. That is, what, And you say, what's the basis of that? The basis of it is what Jesus did to pay that price. So that's another word. Now, I'm going to introduce you to another word this morning that I find here in the book of Titus. Now, we would, we would automatically think, and we should, how do we get from the, how does one get from the state where they are described in the Bible as fallen and depraved to the end of verse 14 to become a peculiar people zealous of good works? There's got to be something that takes place for that to come about. That anybody with just common sense that knew nothing about, knew nothing of the Bible would stop and think, I've, you know, I've had people to talk to me about what a Christian ought to act like that was not a Christian, that didn't have any knowledge uh, of the Word of God. But they know what a Christian ought to be like. And they, they know that, and boy, it'll happen when someone who professes to be a Christian acts like the world around the world. They know it. They see it. They notice it. And so, how do you get, how do you get to that last part of verse 14? And that's going to be the subject of the preaching from here for a little while until we finish, uh, the, I finish my thoughts on that very ber- verse. So to point that out, I'm, I'm going to read in your hearing from chapter 3. This is in the book of Titus and this is chapter 3. And you can follow me. I'll just start with verse number 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes, now this is talking about prior to the working of God's grace in a person's life, were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts, that's different kinds of lusts, and pleasure, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Pretty good description, is it not? We need to understand that the Bible does that very thing. I was reading some verses uh, earlier today, this morning, where I had a young person to come and ask me some questions. Uh, what does the Bible say about this? And I gave them this, uh, the passage of Scripture, and we may get to that this morning. But the Bible makes a pretty good description of the fallen condition. And then we have in verse 4, it says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, 
Now the verse that is like that is back up in chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. That is the truth of the gospel has been revealed. Verse 5 is my, is my verse I want to call your attention to. And it says this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now you remember, I ask you the question, how do you get to the end of verse 14 in chapter 2? A peculiar people zealous of good works. How do you get there? Well, the Bible tells us how that happens. How it comes about. How God purifies His people and the meaning of that. You would notice in that verse that there's a washing of regeneration. Regeneration is the doctrine. Regeneration is our subject this morning. And it goes on in verse 6 to say, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Paul telling Titus, a preacher, this is what you're to do. You're to affirm that. You're to affirm those things. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto man. Oh, now you see, we've already found in verse number 14 of our text verse that we've been thinking about. Uh, peculiar people zealous of good works. And then in this verse he says, this is what you're supposed to do. I want to tell you what I think this morning. I'm a preacher of the gospel, minister of the word. I believe I'm being obedient to God when I read this passage in here. And I affirm unto you these truths that are found in the scriptures here. This is the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration. What does that word mean? I hope to share with you some thoughts this morning on the meaning of that word. It means sort of what it sounds like it does. Regenerate, to regenerate, regeneration. And if you think, well, it means to uh, give life to the dead, you'd be exactly right. There's a miracle that takes place. I, I, you know, I've talked about this before. Of all the miracles uh, in the Scriptures, and boy, some of them are so impressive. And I delight in thinking about them. I think one of the most awesome miracles in the New Testament was Jesus feeding the 5,000. And all the fragments that were left over after He fed 5,000 men with just a little boy's lunch. And uh, not counting, the Bible says this, not counting the women and the children. We really don't know what that number was. But there's also miracles. I believe the greatest miracle, in my, in my personal opinion, and by my personal experience, is the the miracle of regeneration, where God can take someone that is dead. Do you understand that's the condition of the unregenerate? They are dead. The Bible says, dead in trespasses and sin. If you're saved this morning, the Scripture tells us, you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Do you begin to see how the Lord brings this process about when it says purify unto Himself? 
we would automatically know by our own personal experience some great miracle needs to take place to bring people to that position and that place. A great miracle. And it is a great miracle. I believe the greatest of all miracles when God raises His child from the dead. Back in John chapter 3, there's a story that is so very familiar and I think sometimes we don't stop to think about uh, some of the things that are implied and meant uh, in that passage of Scripture. But it's where Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was a ruler of the Jews. He should have known what he was going to uh, discuss with the Lord. But he didn't know. I want you to understand there's a lot of religious people in the world that don't have a clue about how God saves a sinner. Just to be honest with you. They don't have a clue. They've got it wrong. They've got it all wrong. How God saves a sinner. But Nicodemus came and Jesus told him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. Born again. Now, I was born about 71, almost 72 years ago. I, I was born into my family. I was born. That was my birth, first birth. And then, about 57 years ago, I was born again. <laughs> I was born again. Now, probably if you'd have come to me and said uh, prior to that, now you're dead, I, I'd have scratched my head. I'd have been like old Nicodemus. I wouldn't have understood that. I might have even said, well, what do I need to do? Enter the second time in my mother's womb. That's what he said. But this is talking about the rebirth. The rebirth. Folks, I want to tell you something. This miracle of the rebirth and the verse that we're looking at to purify unto Himself, this is the process that takes place. I I want to say this. I've said it so many times. When God saves someone, He changes them forever. They can never be the same again. Never be the same again. They're a brand new person. The Bible says they're a brand new creation. That's what takes place. Our Lord knew that in order to bring us to the place where He would have us to be, to spend eternity with Him, purify unto Himself a people. A people. They are His people. And He's going to have to spend eternity with us. You better believe that He put in place that which was necessary to make us what He would have us to be. He doesn't fail. We do, but He doesn't. He does not fail. He accomplishes what He starts. That's one of the great truths in the Bible in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. If He begins a good work in you, guess what? The Bible says He'll finish it. He will do His will in the lives of His people. And He describes them. One of the greatest descriptions in all the New Testament is in John chapter 10. They are His sheep. And he describes them as those who hear his voice and they follow him. And a stranger will they not follow. That is a distinguishing mark of his people. And they are that way because of the work of grace that he does. He's a heart changing God. He gives us a new heart when he saves a person. That's how he brings that about. 
So this doctrine of regeneration. Now the verse I want to call your attention to in John chapter 3 is this verse in verse 5. And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now I know that there is about three interpretations of that verse of Scripture. And there are some of our Camelite friends, some of them is probably listening this morning. <laughs> Praise God for that. They would tell you that this means water baptism. Not so. It is not in this verse of Scripture. Water baptism does not save. And, uh, but he goes on to say, except they were born of water and of the Spirit. Now there's a couple of interpretations. I have heard people say, well they believe that this is describing both births. Born of water and born of the Spirit. And there's no doubt that that's a pretty good description of how it happens when you were born the first time. You were born of water. You were born of water. We're all familiar with the reality when a woman that is pregnant, about to give birth to a child, her water breaks. And so it could be that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with nobody. I would say there's two explanations of the Scripture here that, that are true. We are born of water and of the Spirit if we are saved. But born of water and the Spirit, I believe we have that statement fulfilled when I, where I read here, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration. Now here, here's an interesting fact. Water is a figure of the Word. Water in the Bible is a picture of the Word of God. That's what the Bible tells us. Uh, the Bible says, uh, Jesus uh, prayed this prayer in John chapter 17, verse 17, for His children, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Sanctify them through Thy Word, through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Also we find... Uh, it, in First Peter chapter one and verse twenty-three, being born again uh, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, born of the word, born of the word, and uh, in James chapter one verse eighteen, begot he us by his, by the word of truth, and so the washing of regeneration, and there is a cleansing in that. There is a cleansing in that. And so we find that in John chapter 3. Also, I, I call your attention every once in a while because I love it so much in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And it won't hurt to repeat it. Truth is so wonderful, it don't matter how many times you repeat it, it's always going to be good, right? Amen. This church one time called a brand new pastor and he got up. He had heard about the church and everything. He got up and he preached a sermon on repentance. And the next week he preached the same sermon again on repentance. And the next week, and the next week, and the next week. And finally, one old deacon came up to him and said, Preacher, is that the only sermon you know when you're going to change, when you're going to change that and preach something else? He said, when you all repent. <laughs> when you all repent. So repeating the truth is not bad. It's good when it's a good truth. Now in John chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse number 24. And here's what it says. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. You say, Preacher, that sounds like I already had it. Well, that's true. That is true. Nobody does nothing until they are redeemed from that fallen state and given life. Given life. Somebody might say, God saved me because I've done this or I've done that. No, He did not. If you did, if you did a lot of good things, you did them because He'd already given you life. You wouldn't have done them. You wouldn't have done anything had you not been given life. And so that's a wonderful truth. In our text, verse, verse 5 of chapter 3 of Titus, it says there's a negative that's there. And it says this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Period. As a matter of fact, what is a work of righteousness? Is it not obedience to the very law of God? Nobody can do works of righteousness before they're given new life. They can't do that. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And so, it's not by works of righteousness. So, it says, I'll read that verse again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now that's an interesting statement. Shall not come into condemnation. Condemnation there means judgment. Shall not come into judgment. Why is it that I'm not going to come into judgment, but be passed from death unto life? I know the answer to that. My judgment was stood many, many years ago on the cross of Calvary. Because Jesus had taken upon Himself the penalty of all my sin and paid the price and paid it in full. God don't judge sin twice. He judged my sin. And they shall not come into condemnation. And He goes on to say in verse number 25. Now this is interesting and I want you to listen to this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour cometh and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear it shall live. Oh, preacher, I know what that means. That means that one of these days out there in the future, when Jesus comes back again, He'll speak and the graves will open up and they'll be raised up from the dead. No, it does not. That is not what that means at all. Let me read on. For his Father hath life in himself, and given uh, to the Son to have life in himself, and he hath given him authority to exercise judgment, also because he is the Son of, Son of Man. Well, you say, preacher, if that's not what that means, can you prove it? Yes, I can. Because the next verse says, verse 28, marvel not at this. Marvel not at what? Marvel not at what he said when he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Don't marvel at that. He goes on to say, Marvel not this, for the hour is coming and which all which are in the grave shall hear his voice 
and shall come forth. They that have done good unto resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So there it is. There's what's going to happen out in the future somewhere. So you mean this is describing what happened to me when God saved me? It's exactly what it's saying. I'll read it again, verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you that the hour is coming and now is. It's not out in the future somewhere. This is the way it works now. And now is that when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, they that hear shall live. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Let me tell you what happened to you, my brother and my sister. When God saved you, whether you knew it or not, you heard the voice of the Son of God. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. Take thy cross and follow, follow me. I heard it one day. You say, preacher, was it an audible voice from heaven? No, it was a still, small voice in my heart. And I heard that. And I answered that call. And if you're saved this morning, that's exactly what happened to you. You heard it. And you answered that call. Nobody comes to Him apart from that call. And that call is very real. That person who wrote that song that I sung a little bit of, that person understood exactly what this verse scripture says. What is regeneration? It says in our text verse that He came to purify unto Himself a peculiar people. Let me tell you all something. There is a difference whether folks act like it or not. A difference between His children and the world out there. And He made it so. He made it so. That little song the kids sing sometimes, He's still working on me. And I want to tell you something. Once it starts, it never stops. It goes on throughout all of our life. This doctrine of regeneration, it's not a, just a cleansing at one time and no more. That cleansing goes on all throughout our lifetime. And for you that are saved this morning, when you make a mistake, you say something you shouldn't say, you lose your temper and act stupid. <laughs> and does it happen? Yes, it does. And so when things like that we do, we repent of that. We say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. Help me to have victory over that. That's why we do that. That's what causes that. Because the Bible says that that cleansing process don't ever stop. Once it starts, it never stops as it goes on. And so that wonderful verse teaches us that. I'd call your attention to another passage in John. And this is I tell you what, I think this just describes so well what happens to the person that God saves. In that process of purifying, I'll just start reading in verse 1, John chapter 15. You all are familiar with this. It says so much. 
Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. If you're saved this morning, you are in Christ, and Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the vine and the branch relationship. You're not separated from the vine. You are a part of the vine. You are added to the vine. He goes on to say, Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And I want you to notice especially verse 4 down through verse number 6. Here's what it says. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. Now he talks about bearing fruit. It's not, not the way a vine is supposed to do, bear fruit. Some of you, like myself, you raise a garden every year. And what do you raise it for? You raise it because you expect fruit. That's what happens. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He goes on in verse 5 to say, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, listen to this, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I want to ask you, Christian, are you bearing fruit? Can you identify that? Do you have a zeal of good works? Do you have a deep desire in your heart to serve the Lord that you love? That's His motivating factor. Verse 6, If a man abideth not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. One day there's going to be a great separation that's coming. And there will be those, and sad to say, and I'm not passing judgment, I'm telling you what the Bible says, there will be many in that day that Jesus will have to say to them, I never knew you. And all along in life, there was something missing. People who claim to be saved, and in that text that I just quoted what Jesus said, they give their qualifications. Have we not done this? Have we not done that? And you can fill in the blank. And Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. There are a lot of people in the world, and I say a lot because the Bible says that. Many, Jesus said in that day, many, there will be a lot of people who will be condemned to hell forever who thought they were saved and they weren't. And they should have known if they'd known the Bible, they would have known. They would have known it. They would have known it. But they don't know the Bible. There are people who claim to be saved and have a relationship with God. And they clearly, not by because I'm judging them, but because I've had conversation with people, and when they open their mouth, they should have kept it shut because they exposed the fact that they did not know what the Bible teaches. They don't know. They're not interested in it. They don't read it. They don't study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. And I want to tell you all something. And I'm going to say it as plain as I know how. It's about time people quit being deceived. And they need to wonder and ask, when I die or when Jesus comes back, will I go to spend eternity? Need to ask that question. Lord, am I saved? If you ask me this morning, do you know, preacher, if I'm saved or not, I would call your attention to this text. 
Because this is what the Bible said Jesus came to do. He came to get a people. He came to get a people. And as I often quote from John 17, 24, Jesus was praying. Praying to the Father. And He said, I will that they whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory. I want to tell you something, my Christian brother and sister. He loved you with an everlasting love. From all eternity, you were given to the Savior. And so, it tells us that. And then in the 8th verse, I'll read that one. Herein is the Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciple. That means so shall you show yourself to be my disciple by the fact that you bear fruit. Now, I would remind you that the 16th verse of that chapter says this. Jesus said this, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Jesus, why'd you do that? Would you answer that question for me this morning? Why did you do that? He said, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit may remain, shall remain. That whatsoever you shall ask in my Father's name, I'll give it, I'll, He may, I may give it to you. So what did He do that for? I, I want to tell you what I know about myself. You can settle it for between you and God if you want to, but He chose me. I know He did. And I heard my Savior calling. He chose me. Does He have a purpose in doing so? He sure does. He don't start what He's not going to finish. And it is to work a work of grace in the hearts and lives of those people that He has chosen because He's going to spend eternity with them. Why does He choose us? He purified us. And it's defined in that passage of Scripture. When it's true, fruit is born. And I'll call your attention to one more verse of Scripture that I think is unique. And it's in 2 Corinthians. In the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, you probably are very much aware of this. Chapter 5 and verse number 17. And listen to this description. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, or you can say Christ in you, the hope of glory. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. Not will someday, but become new. My friend, when God saved you, He made you a new creation. That's exactly what that is. New creature means a new creation. A brand new creation. And so there's a process that starts. And that process goes on throughout all of your life. And that is that process of purifying unto Himself a peculiar people. And then He describes them as zealous of good works. That's how He describes them. That's how He describes them. Now you say, preacher, that verse said, I want you to explain it. It says, not according to works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, 
you've said, okay, preacher, you don't think that baptism is in that. You probably agree with me that it's not there. There is the washing that takes place through the process of the miracle of regeneration. Well, explain that to me. Okay, I will. I'm glad you asked. I'm going to read from the book of Revelation, chapter number 1. I love this verse. I think it's awesome. How are we washed? Verse 5 says this of chapter 1. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him, now listen, that loved us and washed us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. What can wash away my sin? Sing it with me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Praise God. (laughs) And it keeps on cleansing too. It just keeps on plenty. Because we continue to be washed in the blood. I love the song we sang at the Lord's Supper. There is a fountain. Praise God. Filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stain. Do you need it? Do you know for sure that you've been washed in the blood? If you don't, you come this morning when we sing a closing number. If, if the Lord is convicting you, if you can hear your Savior calling, you rise. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in His arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. You rise and come to Him this morning. Father, we thank You and praise You for the wonderful miracle that You do. When You take an old, unworthy, hell-deserving sinner, unclean, unclean, and You work the miracle of the new birth and regeneration in His heart and life. We thank You for that. We couldn't do that ourselves. There is no way. We wouldn't even want to apart from Your work of grace in our heart. And so we give You all the praise and the glory. And I want to say this to You, Lord. I want to tell You what I believe. There's people hearing me pray. I believe these people who don't care about doing good works for You. There are people who come this way and they don't care about the church. They're not faithful. They're just wondering. And Lord, my heart breaks because they're either backslidden and out of fellowship with You or they may not be saved. That's an awful thought. But it's true. So speak to our hearts this morning. 
and we'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now while Brother Aaron leads us in a closing number?